when it comes to wealth, things are not the problem. The ailment is in the heart. There's nothing spiritual about being poor. Though some people think they're spiritual because they're poor and have nothing while all along coveting what other people's have. True spirituality is marked by our attitude towards things. And if I'm covetous rather than content, then nothing's ever going to satisfy me. Am I trusting in my riches instead of God? Then I'm really in poverty of spirit. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. As we enter the race for the next election, one common campaign theme has been the haves and the have-nots, with many candidates promising financial equity for all. But as good as that sounds, the issue isn't the things or lack of things in this life. The problem will continue to be a lack of spiritual perspective on wealth and possessions. Continuing a study series of the Gospel of Luke today, Pastor Xavier offers some helpful perspective on this matter. Let's listen. The message is entitled Perspective on Wealth and Possessions. We look around the world in America and we see extremes of wealth and poverty uh, on, on many levels, different things. But a mistake we make often is we think the Bible teaches that all of us would be equal in this aspect of it. We're living in a falling world. It's an ideal thing. It's not what it's talking about. And we'll point some of this stuff out. But, you know, greed comes in many different ways. People sacrifice their innocence, their, their purity, or, or their ethics by, by money. It happens in this fallen world. People are, 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 are pulled and attracted by the power and by what they can possess. And so what we want to do is look at some of the words that appear directly and indirectly in relationship to money and wealth here by Luke and to see how they are affirmed in the parabolic teaching because Luke gives us many parables that are not found anywhere else and he lines them up with these themes. The Bible does not teach or command that Christians sell and give all they have to the church. Please be clear about this. Your giving is by will and by desire and by your own volition, not compulsory. The motive is to be agape love. The early church did make that mistake, I believe, as they sold everything in Acts 2, 44 and 45, laid at the apostles' feet so it would be distributed. Let me tell you why. Because the church of Jerusalem went broke and the Gentiles sent an offering through Paul to help them. It is much better for you to manage your finances and invest it so that when you get older, no one has to take care of you and you can help others. You are responsible for your finances. So anybody who tells you to sell everything, give it to the church or the pastor, walk out. The Bible does not teach or command wealth distribution. Nowhere in the scriptures does the Bible teach that there is to be economic equality but that there is to be compassion and equal opportunity and mercy. We live in a fallen world. It's never going to be. Jesus said you have the poor with you always, okay? In fact, nowhere in the scriptures does the Bible teach that a man has the right to take or demand from you what is rightfully yours. That's stealing, even if it's through legislation. The Bible does not teach that the lazy people are entitled and they're not to be supported financially. Listen, 
Second Thessalonians 3, 7 through 9, Paul says, For you yourselves know how you ought to follow us, for we were not disorderly among you, nor do we eat anybody's bread free of charge, but work with uh, labor, toil and night and day with their hands, that we might not be burdened to any of you, but because we do not have, not because we don't have authority, but be, make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. So Paul worked. And Paul understood that for him it wasn't right. God didn't want him to do that. He wanted to work. And he showed the example and he provided for others that came with him. And then Paul taught the personal work ethic in um, the same book, 2 Thessalonians 3, 10 through 12, as he says, if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. Now, we're not talking about a person who is laid up, had an accident, or you want to help somebody that's in bad time. We're talking about somebody who can work and doesn't want to work, entitled. For we hear that there are some among you, walking among you, disorderly manner, not working at all, but as busybodies. Now, those who are such, we command and exhort through the Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. 2 Thessalonians 3, 10 through 12. Paul taught compassion and benevolence on the very next verse because he knew the extremes. He says, but as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing well. So mark those who feel entitled. Don't give them. They have to work or don't feed them. But remember, there are people who need some help, so don't get callous, okay? I want to be compassionate. I want to be sensitive. I'm a servant. I'll serve you. But when you try to use the scriptures against me because you're lazy and you're evil, the Bible does not teach that every child of God should be wealthy, contrary to all the positive confession heretics of Copeland, Price, and Hagen and company. The believer is not to despise the economic level of poverty. Sometimes poverty is what drives people to God, to trust Him. Once the wealth and the objects of value are removed, Riches and wealth bring an entire different set of difficulties and troubles. You say, well, at least I'd like to have a shot at it. No, we have no idea. When you have hundreds of thousands and millions and billions of dollars, man, the doors that are open to you, the things, the troubles that you get yourself into, we have no idea about. We can imagine because we're evil enough, but... Uh, Listen to First um, Timothy 6, 6 through 11. It says, Now godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptations and snares, and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith. That's Christians in their greediness and pierce themselves through with many sorrows. But you, O man of God, don't be like those Christians. Flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. First Timothy 6, 6 through 11. So don't exclude yourself. Luke reveals unspirituality and true spirituality by the words treasure, covetous, in contrast to lending, or lend, either one, and give. There are two forms of the word for treasure. The first word is a noun, which means to deposit or to place in storage, and it appears five times in Luke. The first one is in 645, for the good or evil treasure in the heart of man. The second is in 1233, for the believer's treasure in heaven. 
The third in 1234, for man's motivation for life, where his treasure is, there will his heart be also. And the fourth, for the rich young ruler having treasure in heaven, if he would have taken Jesus' invitation in Luke 18, 22. Now, the second word is a verb, and it means to keep, hoard, lay up, especially regarding valuables. And it's found only one time in Luke, a total of seven in the New Testament. The one in Luke is found in 1221 in the parable of the rich fool. This is the phrase, lays up treasures. He hoards it. Then there's the word covetous, which has the idea of having more, wanting more with reference to power and property. In Luke 12, 15, Jesus warned his disciples to beware of the sin of covetousness of the Pharisees, as you know. This was um, one of their chief sins. One's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses, as it says there in verse 15. And Jesus then illustrated it by the parable of the rich fool in Luke 12, 15, then 16 and 21. And so we see this in Luke that sometimes he gives a parable and then he illustrates the parable by another parable. Now Jesus desires believers to live content, trusting and depending on Jesus Christ. Uh, he already did it when he taught them how to pray in Luke eleven three, Give us our daily bread, depending on God, being grateful to him. And he illustrated by the birds of the air and the lilies of the field in Luke 12, 22, through 34, how the birds don't go out and store up and the lilies are not toiling or straining at being what they are. And he makes that application to us. That doesn't mean that we're not to work, we're not to endeavor to be good stewards. It just means that we're to look to God and trust God and not in these things down here, that God will be faithful. Uh, the punchline is in 34, for where our treasure is, there will our heart be also. And so that's always a danger that we have to be careful about. Now, the obvious contrast of hoarding and covetousness is the concept of giving and lending, which Luke implies to be the principle of the kingdom and the believer. The emphasis being that one day all will give an account of their gifts, their abilities, their resources by the parable of the ten minas in chapter 19, 11 through 27. I will give an account, you will give an account for everything God gave you, your ability, your talents, your gifts, your finances. All of us will. Each will be rewarded according to the gain of that minna, as that parable teaches. One was 10, the other one five. The third one was so fearful because he said his master was an austere man, so he buried it. Listen to the words of Jesus in verse 22 and 26. Out of your own mouth I will judge you, you wicked servant, for I say to you that to everyone who has will be given. And from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Responsibility. Everything is regarding the kingdom. I'm a Christian now. And God will hold me accountable for that. 
Luke gives great emphasis to contentment that is free from covetousness or passion of possessions. It doesn't mean that we don't have that inclination. It means that we have to fight and resist that inclination. John the Baptist said, if you have two tunics, give one in Luke 3, 11. He's speaking to the common people. Now, everything that you read in the scripture, you have to look in context and the whole counsel of God. If you give whatever you're asked, pretty soon you're not going to have anything. And because people are greedy and entitled, they will do that. So he wants you to use a little noodle between your shoulders so you balance it with common sense, okay? The tax collectors were not to collect more taxes, and the soldiers were not to bully people and extract money in Luke 3, 12 through 14. Those two groups had the most power to abuse their position. So those who are in position of power and influence have the greatest to abuse it and to manipulate people. Those of legal authority, those of public authority, those as pastors, those of position of, of influence. Greater responsibility. John said to those who had that position, don't do that. The believer is a steward. And nothing belongs to him. Everything that I have, God has given to me. It doesn't belong to me. I get to manage it. I get to make decisions. You say, well, yeah, I went to school. I paid a lot of money. I'm still paying on those loans. I, well, wait a minute, okay. Who gave you the brains? Who gave you the health? Everything I possess belongs to the Lord. And I'm to use it for his glory. We dare not confuse complacency with contentment. Complacency describes a person having no incentive, desire, or motivation to provide responsibly for themselves or anybody else. It's whatever. Contentment indicates a person who's grateful and satisfied with what he has, never complaining or begrudging, not worshiping or living for it, while being a good steward to manage the increase if possible. There's a big difference. Jesus himself taught contentment and lending by merciful, loving compassion. Give to everyone who asks of you, he said in Luke 6.30. So there's to be compassion as God leads and directs you. Luke 6.34 says, And if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? So there will be times in my life when as God moves me on that I'm able to help somebody and God would have me not even to require them to pay it. God would just want me to help them. The emphatic principle is proper attitude and perspective towards money and possessions to be used and not worshipped. I think the parable of the Good Samaritan, when we studied that in depth in chapter 10, is a classic example. He paid for that guy, took him to the inn, bandaged him up, put him on his donkey, and then he says, listen, i got to go on a journey. I'm going to come back on the way back. If there's more, I'll flip the bill. We're not to be anxious about the things of life. That's what the Gentiles do, so we're to trust God. It's his good pleasure to give us the kingdom, he said in Luke 12, 32. How much more is he going to take care of us if we're diligent to work, to get prepared for life, and to look at those things? Peter puts it this way. See, we have left all to follow you. This is right after that. And so Jesus said to them, Peter and the rest of the disciples, Surely, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or parents or brothers or wives or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who shall not receive many times more 
in this present time and in the age to come, eternal life, Luke 18, 28 through 30. God will be a debtor to no one, ladies and gentlemen. If you've been walking with God for a lot of years, though you cannot know for sure which way you would have gone and what you would have done, you know that you wouldn't have done as well as you have with the Lord. Automatically, the first weekend I was saved, I came back from partying in Santa Barbara. The next weekend I was in a Bible study. The first weekend I saved so much money. I didn't go out and buy my case of course. I didn't end up getting in a fight and tearing my clothes up. I didn't have my car smashed up. The minute I got born again, I saved a nerdy, an easy 30 to 40%. Automatically, when you're born again, ladies and gentlemen, you are financially ahead. Simple. Real simple. There's nothing spiritual about being poor. Though some people think they're spiritual because they're poor and have nothing while well, all along coveting what other people's have. So it can happen on the poor side, too. Okay? And rich side. True spirituality is marked by our attitude towards things, as we've said. Do I merely possess things or do they possess me? Uh, wherever my treasure is, my heart's going to be there. And if I'm covetous rather than content, then nothing's ever going to satisfy me. Am I trusting in my riches instead of God? However small, however large, then I'm really in poverty of spirit. I'm really poor. Paul put it this way, Philippians 4, 11 through 13. Not that I speak in regards to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be a base, and I know how to abound. Every word and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. Jesus put it this way, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, will be put in your bosom, for with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. It's called sowing and reaping. What is your attitude towards giving to God? Paul directed the churches to um, receive an offering one day a week on Sunday in 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2, as God has prospered you. Real simple. We do that. That's our budget. That's our means. And that's where we live. And we leave the finances up to God. One of the greatest passages regarding the grace of God is um, in giving in 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 8, where Paul uses the Macedonians who were in poverty financially. And Paul wasn't even going to take money from them for the poor saints. And they said, no, 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 what do you mean? And he says he gave out of their poverty liberally. And he uses that to rebuke the Corinthians who had boasted a year ago to give. And then he tests the love of the Corinthians by the Macedonians, and he uses the poverty that Jesus went through being rich, he became poor for us, that we might be made rich in verses 8 and 9 of that same chapter of 2 Corinthians 8. And he nails the Corinthians. Paul gives important principles for our giving in 1 Corinthians 8, 12 through 15, and 9, 6 through 11. Listen to some of these. First, there's to be a willing mind to be acceptable according to what one has and not according to what one does not have. 1 Corinthians 8, 12. So God doesn't want you to give from what you don't have, but he wants you to give from what you do have. All are to be involved. No one's to be at ease. No one's to be burdened over it in 1 Corinthians 8, 13 through 15. And he illustrates it by the gathering of manna. 
those that wanted to gather more had brought it overnight, right? So he emphasizes equality when it comes to our giving to God. As God has blessed us. We already gave the principle of the two mites of the widow. She gave of what it cost to live. The rich, what they gave was of their abundance. It didn't cost them anything. So God looks at not only how much, but what and how. God's spiritual principles also are not to be used to motivate people carnally. In 2 Corinthians 9, 6, it says, He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. And there are Christians and churches and radio programs and TV who will say, Listen, if you give one, God will give you ten. That's a lie. That's carnal people motivating carnal people to get carnal money. It's working people. It's wrong. Also, each one is to be given as he purposes in his heart. Not grudgingly or of a necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. The word cheerful means hilarious. Please, if you cannot give hilariously, don't pollute our offering. Please, God will take care of us. 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Now many people point to Ananias and Sapphira and say, well, look at God killed Ananias and Sapphira. Well, not because they didn't give it all, but because they said they gave it all. And they lied to the Holy Spirit. Read it. Acts 5, 1 through 6. The faithfulness of God, listen, and God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. 2 Corinthians 9, 8 and 9. The word there, sufficiency, is a stoic word, which means that you are a steward, a good steward. So what you have, you're frugal, you invest, you keep something for a rainy day, and you're always benevolent helping somebody, and no one ever has to take care of you. Wow. That's the word he uses for the Corinthians. The focus is managing your own money. You're accountable. Let me finish with the doxology in that section of giving in 2 Corinthians 9, 10, and 11. Paul says, Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed to you, have sown and increased the fruit of your righteousness while you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. So may God continue to supply your need and may you continue to be a good steward and you may be continually obedient to God and to be compassionate and God will not, not rip you off. He will be faithful. I guarantee you that the people that have the most financial problems, and I'm not talking about where you get laid off or you go through a difficult, but just straight across. If you, those that have financial problems are people who never give to God anything. Luke reveals a contrast here between unspirituality and true spirituality by the words treasure, covetous, in contrast to lend and give. Great lessons for us as Christians. So here is what Luke taught. Luke reveals a contrast of social inner attitude of persons. That's where it begins, by the words lowly and mighty. Are you lowly or do you think you're mighty? That's where it begins. Luke reveals the contrast between the economic positions of persons by the words poor and rich. What do you consider yourself? Is it just material or is it spiritual? And Luke reveals the contrast between unspirituality and true spirituality by the word treasure and covetous in contrast to lend and give. 
Are you just a taker? More, 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 more. Or are you a giver? It's more blessed to give than to receive. Wealth alone can't bring you closer to God, but neither can poverty. According to Pastor Xavier Reese, the biggest treasure of all is stored right in your own heart. And today's message titled Perspective on Wealth and Possessions is available as always on CD for only $4. And by the way, we'll also be including everything Pastor Xavier shared with us the last time we were together as well. Now, once again, the title to ask for is Perspective on Wealth and Possessions. Or you can simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths. 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. And then join us for more Simple Truths next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Hope to see you then. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California www.calvarychapelpasadena.com